All right, thank you. So this is week two that we're talking about discipleship. Um, last week we talked about the goal of discipleship, which is to know God, to enjoy God, to, to delight in God, to live every part of our lives before the face of God, within the, within the knowledge of his glory and his goodness and his grace shown to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I explained that 18 different ways and just said the same thing over and over for 45 minutes. And I, I challenged you to think, think of discipleship not so much as a list of things that we're supposed to do, but rather set your gaze on the goal, on the glory of God and knowing him, enjoying him forever. And then all the things you do kind of fall into place once we get the goal right. That being said, we did talk about... Well, the first of two ways to get there, two means of discipleship. And um, I said the first of these is community, right? That um, because the church is designed to build herself up, or I should say, because Jesus is working in the church so that she builds herself up, then we need to be individual members who are discipling other individual members so that the body itself can grow in health. That's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Which means when we focus on community, discipleship isn't just, you know, self-improvement. Rather, what we're dealing with is self-denial, right? It's taking up our cross, loving and serving others, even those who are difficult to serve and to love. And we consider others as more important than ourselves. We, we um, grow in the knowledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we help others to do the same. So the first avenue of discipleship was through community. That's what we covered last week. And the second avenue, which we saved for this morning, is going to be through education. Um, but not education for the sake of being smarter, right? We don't want to just be big-headed people. We want education for the purposes of exaltation and for edification. Or, you know, if you need to be discipled because you hate alliteration. Uh, we want to be taught so that our walk and our worship can reflect the glory of God. I just alliterated again with walk and worship. I did not realize that in my notes. Um, but that's what happens. If you have a degree in preaching, you alliterate as much as you can. So we want to be educated so our walk and our worship, our exaltation and our edification reflect the glory of Christ. So this morning we're talking all about education for the next 35 minutes, which is a note for myself, not for you. Um, so basic question, why education? Why, why would we focus on teaching? And my answer is because Christianity is a religion that's centered around teaching, right? God gave us a book. And to know God, we need to know the book. We need to have education. Speaking in purely human terms, the way God wants us to know him is by reading and being taught and understanding his book and the reality it presents. And therefore, we care about education because education leads us to know God. Um, but that's my answer. Let me give you, I think I have eight or nine scripture references, just to make sure, you know, I don't know if I have the reputation of the, you know, Dan's just nerdy and he likes reading and education and, you know, this is his kind of pet thing and that's cool for him, but I'm glad I'm not Dan as well. Um, 
which is valid. But my ideas aren't that relevant. What's relevant is scripture. So let me give you, I think, eight or nine passages that just kind of show us the importance of education and teaching throughout the Bible. Um, so first would be Luke 2.46, right? It teaches that Jesus values teaching. This is when Jesus is a kid. He gets left in Jerusalem. His parents come back to find him. Luke 2.46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking questions. So Jesus values teaching. Or we could go to Ephesians 4.11, which says that one of the ways Jesus works in his church is by giving her teachers. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Or we could jump down to Ephesians 4.14. This is where we were last week, which tells us that one of the goals of discipleship is that we would be built up in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and be mature in our doctrinal understanding so that we're not tossed around by popular opinions and what the talking heads on TV are telling us. Rather, we need knowledge and education to understand and be rooted in the historic Christian faith. We could turn to 2 Timothy 3, 4, 3 and 4, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 which shows us that the opposite of good education in the church isn't no education, but rather it's education that will damn you, right? It's saying education in the church is inevitable. The question is, is it going to be holy pushing you towards God, or is it going to be worldly that pushes you towards hell? Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Or we could go back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, which involves teaching, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what? teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We could look at Acts 5, 28. This is um, when the high priest confronts Peter and the apostles. The problem that the high priests have with the apostles isn't that they're doing miracles, isn't that they're healing. Their problem is that they are teaching about Jesus Christ. So I generally think if this is where Satan wants to fight us, it's probably fairly important. Acts 5, 28. The high priest said, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. We go later in Acts, Acts 20, 20, the 2020 vision right here for, for discipleship. That's stupid. I, this is, I manuscript everything, and then I never stick to my manuscript, and I say dumb things like that. So, oh well. Um, the apostles saw teaching as essential to their ministry. Acts 20, 20 says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Or we could go to Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, which says teaching is the way that love and community can actually play out between individual members of the church. Uh, specifically here we're talking about between older women and younger women. Titus 2, 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, 
and so train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. I mean, if we wanted, I had a massive list of all of this teaching scripture. We could spend our entire 45 minutes just walking through individual verses talking about how much the Bible values teaching. There's bushels of, of proof of this. But I think, I think I've proved enough that disciples need education, and it goes side by side with community to help us to know God and become more like Christ. So I want to spend our time asking three main questions, and this is kind of going to frame what we're doing. First is, what do we need to know? So what's the content of the education? Second is, what's the goal of the education, or why is it that we need to know these things? And then third, just practically speaking, what are some ways that I can get this? What are the means of education? So what do we need to know? What's the goal of knowing this? And then how do we go about it? So first, what do we need to know? I think when we're dealing with education, we're primarily dealing with three areas, right? Bible, beliefs, and behavior. Bible, beliefs, behavior. I told you, I'm alliterating everything today. Um, so, so Bible, right? Plain and simple, we need to know the book, right? If we want to know God, if we want to please God, if we want to know what God requires, if we want to be like God, if we want to know Jesus and make him known, then we need to know God's word, right? Discipleship won't happen without a steady diet of scripture. It needs to be like an IV, constantly flowing and giving us life and nutrients. If this is the way that God chooses to speak to us, we need to choose to listen to him by knowing his word. Now, I mean, probably you've heard churches like ours be accused of worshiping the Bible instead of worshiping God, right? By idolatry, right? That's a terrible, I don't even know if that counts as a pun because it's not good. Um, but that's not, the, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to worship the Bible. Um, if you're at the men's or the women's conference in 2019, you got a book called, um, did I write this? Peculiar Glory by John Piper. Um, it's, it's great. It's probably somewhere on your shelf. Grab it and read it. He writes this about his experience with scripture. He says, the Bible has not been for me like a masterpiece hanging on the wall of an alpine chalet, but rather like a window in the wall of the chalet with the Alps on the other side. In other words, I've been a Christian all these years, not because I had the courage to hold on to an embattled view of scripture, but because I have been held happily captive by the beauty of God and his ways that I see through the scriptures. I've stood in front of this window all these years, not to protect it from being broken or because the owner of the chalet told me to, but because of the glory on the Alps of the other side. This book, right, all 66 books of this book are here to help us to know and to see and to love God. Therefore, education must include a steady diet of Bible. <clears throat> but the second category is beliefs, doctrine, theology, whatever you want to call this. Because if the Bible is a window, then what are we actually looking at on the other side? Um, in other words, the Bible shows us reality, it describes reality, and theology or beliefs or doctrine explain that reality. It helps us to understand the Bible that we're reading. So let me give you two examples, one from life, one from scripture here. 
So as I was writing this last week, um, I was sitting in the chair in our living room, family canceling headphones on, and, um, and on my arms trying to keep me from typing a lesson was a warm, gray, fuzzy, vibrating creature that's doing its dead level best to be pet instead of letting me work. That's kind of what scripture does. We look at the immediate words and we can see, okay, it's describing something. It's gray, it's warm, it's fuzzy, it's vibrating. Doctrine, though, takes the rest of scripture and brings it in so we can have a bigger horizon to say, okay, I know what this actually is. This is a cat. Maybe it says, I can go another place and be like, I know how to get rid of this cat so that I can actually work on Sunday school. Instead of just dealing with the immediate words before us, Doctrine helps present the reality that those words are describing. It opens up our view to the greater horizon so we can see and understand what we're seeing in part through specific verses of Scripture. So um, I guess we could say individuals, verses, books, paragraphs, chapters, whatever, describe truth. Doctrine comes along to help us to understand what this thing is describing, right? It brings in the rest of our knowledge of Scripture and knowledge of the Bible to help us to understand the parts better. Or let me give you an example from Scripture that might help clarify, because I feel like based on the looks of most people's faces, I just made this a lot worse for you. So 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So pop quiz, when, G- when Paul says Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, what prophecy, what verse is he referring to that says Christ will be raised on the third day? Maybe in Isaiah. <laughs> Maybe in Isaiah. Okay, we're going to go back and talk about education and the Bible and script. No, no, you guys are right, actually. Silence. There is no prophecy in scripture that says Jesus is going to be raised on the third day. So why in the world would Paul say that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, right? If there's no scripture to be referring to. Paul's not saying that a specific verse here is pointing to this. He's saying, I have a theology, a doctrine of third day life that is from the scriptures that helps me to understand what Jesus did, right? Because maybe Paul is reading Genesis and he sees on the third day of creation, we have the first seeds of life as the plants shoot out of the ground. On the third day of creation, we have life. Or maybe he's a little farther down the line in Genesis. He sees Abraham and Isaac go out to the mountain where Isaac's going to be sacrificed. But on the third day, there's a ram stuck in the thicket and it saves, well, God saves Isaac's life on the third day. He's, as Hebrew said, given back from the dead at that point. Or maybe we can go into Exodus and we see God comes down from Sinai to from heaven to Sinai to meet with the people on their third day at the mountain. Or we could talk about the Red Sea, how they were given life through the death and judgment of the Red Sea on the third day after Passover. We can go into the prophets and see Jonah's rescued from the grave on the third day. Or Hosea says that Israel will be resurrected from the dead on the third day. There's all of these patterns in scripture 
So Paul sees, okay, apparently giving life on the third day is a major theme throughout the Bible. And he says, so when Jesus is given life on the third day, that's according to the scriptures. I don't have a chapter and verse to point to on this, but I have a theology that helps to explain the resurrection of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, on the third day. So we need to be trained in what we believe in our doctrine so that we can help under, be helped to understand what the Bible actually teaches. So we need to know Bible. We need to know our beliefs. And finally, we need to know behavior, right? The Christian life isn't just know these things. There's a lot of things that we actually do as Christians. Ethics, Christian action. You know, how do you pray? How do you understand the Bible? How do you evangelize? What does holiness look like? What does it mean to walk in righteousness as you're a spouse or a parent or a coworker or a boss? What, is, what does this actually look like in practice? God doesn't want us just to know certain things. He wants us to live in a certain way. Uh, I'm going to talk more about this in just a second. So we're going to stop there and just say the things that we need to know the things we need to be educated in if we are going to know God fully are the Bible, beliefs, and behavior. So second question, why do we do education, right? We said, here's what we need to know, but why? What's the goal of education? And I already told you the answer, but I, I think discipleship demands education for the sake of exaltation and edification. Now, by Exaltation, I mean worship. I'm, I'm using a U in there, right? E-X-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N, which means to rejoice in the victory of God. If you're taking notes and you put an A in it, E-X-A-L-T-A-T-I-O-N, to worship or ascribe worth to God, that works too. Um, both of them are important. Um, but what we want to do through our education is to have it lead us to joy and satisfaction and the beauty of knowing God through Jesus Christ. That we would praise the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. Because if we do education poorly, right, which is a, it's a good possibility that we're going to do this poorly, then we end up with a pile of true facts that we say, look at my facts, and it takes our gaze off of God and puts it on the doctrine, the Bible instead. That's not what we want to do. That, that's not how Jesus wants us to do theology. Um, I remember in seminary, one of my professors, Russell Moore, he put it this way. He says, when Thomas comes to Jesus with a theological question, John 14, Jesus, what is the way to God? Jesus takes a theological concept. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. Or when Martha comes to Jesus with a theological question, you know, about the resurrection of the last day. Jesus takes her theological question, John 11, Lazarus story, and responds, I am the resurrection and the life. Or when the Samaritan woman, John 4, says, okay, so are we going to worship on that mountain or in Jerusalem? Like, where should we worship? A theological question. Jesus says, there's a time when you won't worship there, but you will worship me. I, the one speaking to you, am the one to worship. Theology, doctrine, education is meant to lead us to Jesus Christ, to worship him. Everything is pointing us back to Jesus. And speaking to uh, Pontius Pilate, right? Jesus says he bears witness to the truth. And Pilate remarks, what is truth? Pilate tries to separate out truth from the man Jesus Christ. 
But we know that those can't be separated. Truth is found in the man, Jesus Christ. In fact, the the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, they had really strong doctrines. They had a huge doctrine of the Messiah that was to come. And they loved their doctrine so much that they would oppose and kill anybody who they thought was going against their their doctrines. They're not trying to be villains here. They're trying to be faithful to what they believe. And so when Jesus comes and he confronts their theology, they say, we can't keep both Jesus and our theology. We need to protect our doctrine. And so they did at the life of Jesus Christ. They defended their theology by killing the Son of God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus is good, doctrine is bad. Let's do away with it altogether. I'm saying Jesus is infinitely glorious and worthy and worth knowing. And doctrine is absolutely essential because it pushes us towards him. When we do theology like Jesus does, doctrine points us to Jesus Christ. But we have to be careful because if we do education poorly, our doctrine is going to turn us away from Christ and towards doctrine for its own sake. Which is why I say the goal of our education has to be exaltation. That we would know God, we would know things so that it would point us to knowing and rejoicing and delighting in God. The goal of education and the goal of discipleship. Or I could say it this way, I, I know I've used this example 25 times before, but my, my parents are coming up this, or coming down, I guess, this afternoon, so I could tell Christy, like, hey, we've had a rough couple of weeks, well, you've had a rough couple of weeks, you did a little bit more than I did, um, you know, with the newborn, so why don't we go out and celebrate while we have free babysitters at home, right? So I take her down, we go to Novi, we hit Buddy's Pizza, grab a deep dish meat lovers, we eat more than we ever should in a couple weeks worth of pizza, but she's had heartburn for nine months. Let's, let's go crazy, right? At that point, we no longer want to move. And it's like 90 with 100% humidity out. So we go across the street at the movie theater. I'm confident there's a new superhero movie out because they don't make anything besides superhero movies anymore. Um, so we go and watch whatever super person there is. We get to sit. Maybe we get to nap, you know. When you go to the movies, sometimes you just pay a lot of money to nap in a loud place (laughs) because you don't get to nap in a loud place at home. Um, Then on our way home, we'll come up Benstein, we'll hit Dairy Twist Cafe, we'll get some mango sorbet because it's super hot out and ice cream's delicious. And you're like, man, that sounds wonderful. Unless you actually know my wife. Because if you know Christy, you know she hates meat lovers pizza. She's a veggie pizza kind of girl. She hates action hero movies. And she believes there's two kinds of desserts. There's chocolate and there's not actually dessert. And so if you try to honor Chrissy by doing things ignorantly without actually knowing her, your love isn't going to appear as love. It's going to be, um, what, ignorance at best. Or, you know, she's going to absolutely hate the entire day. That's not the way we want to relate to God. We want to know God and know what God wants from us so that we can exalt in him properly. The second goal, though, is going to be for edification. That we ourselves would grow in our Christian lives, in our walks. 
that we would be built up in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. That's Ephesians 4.1. That is, we want to be educated so that we actually can live every day. The word I used last week was quorum deo, before the face of God, so that our knowledge would affect the way that we live. Um, one author writes it like this. He says, Faithful thinking ought not to be divorced from faithful living. We're not mere brains on sticks. We're relational beings. Again, faithful thought must not be decoupled from a faithful life. Good theology is never content to remain on the theoretical level. It always affects life. So flip over to Titus 2. Let me just show you this. Life and doctrine are never disconnected. This is one of the verses I read earlier, but I think it'll be helpful for us to see this. It's been about four years since Pastor Jeff preached Titus, so let me remind us of the context. So Titus is a pastor on the really messed up island of Crete. The Cretans are, I mean, we, we kind of have that word as part of our, our vocabulary. Um, they're lazy, no good, gluttonous liars. That's their words, not mine. So when we think, I have, I'm making sure the rays aren't in here. When we think of Crete, think of like Ohio, right? Um, that's what we're dealing with. But even though there's these no good gluttonous liars on Crete, not in Ohio, um, apparently nobody, everybody loves Ohio today. That's fine. Um, there's churches there. So Pastor Titus is there to set the churches in order. There's chaos now. Paul says, go set them in order. And so that's what Pastor Titus does. And some of the advice that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives to Titus is in Titus 2. He says, and then actually turn there. He says, uh, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And now we would think, okay, I need to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That would be things like teach them what to believe about God, about the Bible, about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, about creation and providence and sanctification, the end times, the Lord's Supper, baptism, the eternal state. But Paul doesn't say, teach what accords with sound doctrine, like all of these theological concepts. He says, this is what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they're to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. The things that accord with sound doctrine is not just orthodox beliefs about the Trinity and salvation and justification by faith alone. No, education and doctrine must affect the way we live. If young men are not self-controlled, that means we are not orthodox. Maybe our theology is right, but if our lives are not right, we are not living according to sound doctrine. That's um, the way that Paul accuses Peter in Galatians. He says, you are not living a life according to the teaching of the gospel when you're showing favoritism. We don't just want orthodox beliefs, that's important, but we're also wanting orthodox lives. Doctrine and understanding leads to changed lives. 
and also changed lives lead to understanding doctrine better, right? If we look at the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall, what? See God. That's the goal of discipleship is that we would see God and to do that, we need to have these pure lives. So it works both ways, right? As we're educated, we live more righteously. If we live more righteously, it helps us to see God and know him better. They work together. So we teach scripture and doctrine and behavior because these beliefs ultimately lead us to love and experience the joy of Jesus Christ. We teach so we can be edified, right? So we can grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. And we teach so we can exalt God and, and, and enjoy the glory and the victory that he has earned. Which leads to our last question. Okay, so how do we do this? And this is not going to be revolutionary by any means. I mean, I hope none of this has been revolutionary for us. Um, but the question is, okay, so how do we grow in these things, in belief, in Bible, in behavior? How do, we, how do we be educated so that we would glorify God and we would walk righteously? Um, there's a bunch of ways. Let me give us a couple. So first, books. No one's surprised by books, right? Read good, scripture-saturated books. There are things that are topical about, you know, parenting or grief or whatever I'm doing right now that's helpful to read. There are things that are completely non, you know, immediate needs of ours. Just books about who God is, what he's like, who Jesus is. Um, those are helpful too. Like when we host conferences, we have a huge bookstore because we know the value that books can play in helping disciple people, train them, point them to God. And there's a lot of good ones out there that we want to put in front of people. There's also a lot of bad ones out there where we want to say, read these ones instead. Um, so, so read, ask recommendations from people who are mature, who you think, yeah, they, they seem like they've been discipled well. What's some books that would help me to grow in my love of God? Um, when we get the Welcome Center built down in the, in the sanctuary, one of the things that we're going to have as part of that ministry is like a little book cart stall, whatever. We're like, there's, you know, four or five titles each month. We're like, these you would do really well to read, to benefit from them. There's a lot of helpful things in this book, and here it is, super cheap. Um, so that's something I'm looking forward to this fall, once we get the worship, or the, the Welcome Center up and rolling. Um, another thing, maybe this is just because I'm young, but like I, I love podcasts, right? Because there's a lot of my life that's spent doing mindless things, right? Driving, mowing the lawn, doing dishes, or whatever you do mindlessly, folding laundry, um, Man, Ella never slept as an infant. So I can't tell you how many sermons I listened to at 4 a.m. for a year and a half. It was like a sermon a night at 4 a.m., which I would rather be sleeping, but it's better than <laughs> sleeping holding a baby because that's not safe. Um, you know, there's sermons out there. There's interviews. There's people that deal with current events. Um, there's other podcasts that just walk through books of the Bible, which I find super helpful of, you know what? I don't have a good grasp on the book of Exodus, but I can take my commutes and listen to people, you know, walk me through it. Um, it's not a high effort kind of thing. It's I'd have headphones in listening to Garth Brooks anyway, so maybe I should use my time to grow in the knowledge of Christ instead of having friends in low places, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but you can use your time more intentionally to be discipled. 
Or like one of the great things about living in 2021, and especially coming out of you know the digital year of COVID, is there are so many online classes that are free or just super cheap out there. If there's something where you're like, you know what? I feel like I've been a Christian for 25 years and I really struggle with knowing what Jesus actually did. Then you can take a, you know, a 12 week class on the doctrine of the work of Christ and see here's everything that the Bible teaches about what Christ accomplished for us. Um, I know the Gospel Coalition has a ton of free classes on their website. A lot of seminaries and Bible colleges have like sample classes as well where you can take a deep dive into something where you say, you know what, I need this education in this particular area. Let me devote 12 weeks, two hours a week, and maybe a book or something to being discipled in this way. Now, on all three of these categories, if you want particulars, I can give plenty of recommendations. But I want you to notice something. The ways that we usually think about education, which is probably what I just said, are almost at odds with everything I said last week, right? Because this says, sit alone where it's quiet and read or have your earbuds in or watch a screen on your computer. We don't need other people for this. This is just me and Jesus and my Bible. That's not doing discipleship and community, is it? So these things are good, but what's even better is if you read with someone. Chrissy loves when I read out loud to her. I hate reading out loud. I'm like, you know what? Let, we've started dozens of books. We really got through like two chapters. I'm like, I'm out. Like, you read this. We'll talk about it later. And so like, read, read a chapter. Talk about it with someone. Or, you know, talk about what you're listening to. Take a class with a friend or with your spouse. Talk about these things. Bring community into the education that you're receiving. Or, I mean, the key way to do education and community is in the church, right? Find somebody around you and say, hey, what can you teach me? What can we learn? This can be as formal or as informal as we want, right? I'm reading a book weekly with someone. I'm working through the book of Romans with someone else every week. That's pretty formal. Um, and it's a discipling relationship. Or after church, I talk to Helen and to Sharon, and they both say, you know, look at the goodness and the glory of Christ. And they point my heart to God's kindness through Jesus Christ. That's them discipling me. And it's super informal. There's tons of ways to do this. Um, or you could talk formal ministries, right? Um, yeah, we have time to do this. So what we're doing right now, education and community. What we're going to do in 20 minutes in the sermon, 40 minutes in the sermon, education in community. But that's going to mean, of course, right, that we're not just listening with other people around us silently, but we talk about what we're learning. Um, or I'll say it this way, right? Back in the day, I was a big fan of the show Lost, right? Anybody else was? No. Okay, cool. Um, so like a year or two, I convinced Christy to watch it and I rewatched it with her. And so we binged it because she didn't watch it in college like I did. And I was reading something online. I don't know, because I was on my Netflix queue. Google's like, oh, apparently you want to read about this. I'm like, sure, whatever. That's kind of creepy that you know that. Um, but it was like reflections of, from the producers 10 years after the finale of Lost or whatever it was. And they made the claim that Lost was the last 
great water cooler TV show, right? Because as the show was ending in, I think, 2011, the whole streaming on demand or via DVDs at that point probably was just starting. We're like, before 2011, nobody really binged a show unless you like taped an entire season on VHS and watched them over a weekend, which that's going to take up like an entire storage room to do that. Um, so when it started in 2004, everybody was watching the same, you know, six shows every night, whatever the networks were playing. There weren't these unlimited options where you could go rewatch Dallas over the weekend. Like you had to watch what NBC told you to watch. And so on, on the morning after Lost aired, everybody would huddle around the water cooler at work and they'd talk about the cliffhangers and the plots and all of the twists and turns that happened the night before. But if you rewatch it now, it's not as fun, right? Because you're like, okay, this is cool. I want to talk about this. And apparently I'm the only person watching TV shows from 15 years ago. Or like, you don't get cliffhangers because it's like, and a cliffhanger, auto playing the next episode in five, four, three, two. You're like, I should go to bed. I'm going to hate myself in the morning. Okay, one, let's go Hulu. And we just watch the next. You're not waiting an entire summer to figure out what happens, you know, at the end of the, the season cliffhangers. There's no community now. There's no fan base. There's no, you know, speculations on Facebook about the Dharma Initiative, right? We need to get out of this mindset that church is something that we kind of binge. We just do it for ourselves. And sure, other people are around, but this is something that I get. It benefits me and it entertains me and I appreciate it. Rather, church education is a water cooler event, right? It's something we get so that we can go and we talk with others about it. That's um, what we intentionally do in community groups. Uh, I think I mentioned that signups are in the sanctuary if you want to join one. Um, but we shouldn't just do it in community groups. We should do it over lunch and with our families and our friends that we we're talking to after the service. If we, you know, rake leaves with a friend this fall, we talk about what we're learning, how God is shaping us, informing us, and teaching us how we are worshiping him in new or better ways that we weren't before. Um, there are just a couple other things, right? So there's Sunday school, there's sermons. Uh, women's Bible study is starting soon. I... I'm a little bit jealous of women's Bible study. Maybe I shouldn't be, you know, jealous about church. Um, but, like, I love that you guys get the little workbooks with questions where before each lesson you could say, okay, I've read the text. I've done some time in the text. I have questions about the text. Let's talk about how we're applying First Samuel. And then, you know, we'll raise some questions and hopefully that will be cleared up in the lesson. Um, or youth groups starting up again. If you have 6th through 12th graders, right, we'll start posting the, sermon, or the lessons online again. My, my thoughts for that is maybe a parent on the way home from work on Tuesday could listen to what their students heard on Sunday, and now you can start talking and having conversations and discipling your kids around what we've learned um, in youth group. Or speaking of discipling kids, Family Discipleship Night is in two weeks. Um, this is a great way to combine all of this. Education, community, discipleship. I mean, it has discipleship in the name. So clearly, you know, we can do discipleship through FDN. Um, I love everything about Family Discipleship Night, except that people think it's a kids program, which that's not really true. Uh, this year we're teaching on Jesus Christ, his work, of atonement and how to be saved at this kind of, you know, general high school level, right? 
just like a newspaper or a magazine is written at that level, so that we can help train kids, yes, but also so kids have lots of questions and parents have some answers. So we can start talking about these things. Or, you know, adults have lots of questions and maybe you get some answers too. Um, we can memorize catechisms and scriptures and creeds on our own. And like last year, the top prize for memory was a 752 theo page theology book on the providence of God. Like, we're not doing veggie tales here. Come to, come to FDN, even if you don't have little kids. It's, it's good, it's hefty, it's a lot of fun. Um, and of course, all of these things aren't just like, hey, the church is busy, Dan needs to do announcements, but let's make him a 45 minute announcement and we'll do all this discipleship stuff before. No, we want the church to build herself up in love, right? That we would help one another to grow in our love and our knowledge of God. We want to take education and turn it to exaltation, to worship, and to edification, our own personal righteousness and holiness, so that we can walk in a way that God requires. And as we learn, as we do so in community, we, we don't just care about ourselves. We care about our brothers and sisters in this. We care about doing missions because of our education. We want the church to build itself up, to go out, to share the gospel, to share the truths of God and the scripture that we have learned so that all of us would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would live before the face of God in the reality of God's glory and his goodness and his grace. So let me pray for us quickly because I went long and then we can head down to the sanctuary. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a church, that you have equipped um, people in the church to, to share truth about you, that you would help us to know you through your word and through the truth that you give to us. Lord, I pray that as we strive to make disciples, as we strive to grow in our own discipleship, that you would give us grace in this, that you would put people around us, that you would build us up in this church, that we might know and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.